It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode of the Adventure Jogger Podcast brought to you by Travis Lawn Car, Joseph Oso Bears, Kilted Hasher, Megan Music, all of our Patreon supporters, and you, the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Reed, welcome to The Adventure Jogger. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really looking forward to it. You have, this is not an easy week for you. You, you said when we talked before we started recording, you, you said, let's do Mondays because Mondays are my, my easy days, my rest days. But no, you, before you did this very podcast, you did not have a day of rest, Reed. You had to work in two runs before we started talking to make this interview work. Yeah, I think uh, in miles, I'm not sure what it's been the last seven days, but I'm 180 kilometers in the last seven days, which, um, yeah, I had to squeeze in two runs today because I'm racing down in Austin this weekend to try and get a spot into Leadville for next year. Well, hang on here, Reed. What workout? Now, I know that you are a sponsored athlete, Reed. I know that you've got some success in the sport, but what workout? Gives you a two a two run day on a taper week. Were these just leisurely strolls, or were these some hard workouts? I have a little prep workout tomorrow, but today was easy, easy, easy strolls. Um, I think my heart rate was one thirty eight on the first run and one thirty nine on the second run. So nice. So nice. I'm just kind of out there jogging. Yeah, just doing your thing. Get those miles in. How many? How many miles do you generally do a week before a race? Is 180 kilometers pretty much your sweet spot? Um, I'm kind of all over the place. Just I switched coaches um, in March, and that really changed a lot of my my training. Um, I used to be a very high mileage guy, but now we're playing around with intensity and doing a lot of steady state stuff. So my mileage varies from 60 miles to 100 miles and kind of anywhere in between that gotcha um i always can know i'm talking to a elite level athlete when they say i run low mileage and their weekly mileage is 180 kilometers (laughs) (laughs) well i mean when i first got into the sport i was running uh in miles like 120 130 miles a week just a lot of volume um not a lot of intensity and then kind of steered away from that got closer to kind of 90 to 100 mile weeks um with some intensity in there and now i'm just yeah i'm really switching things up and then obviously being at altitude um since may that my training's changed again and um now i have to really think about vert and like all those fun things just because i'm no longer living 
out in the East Coast where you're trying to force vert. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, how do I get out on a run? And you're almost trying to avoid it in Colorado <laughs> compared to the East Coast when you're training for a lot of North American races. It's so, it's so funny because it's true, right? There's certain places in the country that you will live, read, and you'll, you know, you'll have a coach or something, you have some workout, and it'll be like, you need to get, you know, 2,000 feet of vert in this workout. And there's some places, like where I live, that is going to require a lot of hill repeats. That is going to require yeah. me finding the steepest hill in town and going up and down it 100 times. Right? Like, I can find, I can find flat things. If I have a workout and it says, you need to run easy on flat terrain, I have got miles and miles and miles of that covered. But if you ask me to go yeah. find some vert, if you said, Ryan, I need 2,000 feet of vert on this workout, I'd be like, okay, I've got to go up and down my driveway 2,000 times. I believe it. Um, <laughs> I trained for Run Rabbit Run last year uh, the way you have to train right now. And um, yeah, I don't take it for granted that I'm, I'm able to now live in a mountain town in Colorado. Um, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to to uproot my life and and make that change because it has been unbelievable now that i'm like adapted to the altitude or at least somewhat adapted to the altitude and uh able to train it's just it's incredible what's kind of out my front door and then if i get creative or want to get in the car i can i can get to a 14 or in i think 20 minutes or 30 minutes which is like a fourteen thousand foot peak and i think that's i don't think you can get get much higher um i mean there's super high mountains i'm not climbing everest but you know what i mean like i can get a lot of exposure above ten thousand feet which is leadville's kind of average right uh, altitude and you kind of just out my door if you were to complain living in colorado and living so close to leadville in the course Reed, if you were to complain, if you were to be like, I just don't know where I'm going to get this, people would hate you. If, if, yeah. <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> you hear that guy in the adventure jogger complaining about not being able to get any vert in Colorado? Um, <laughs> they'd be like, I don't want to listen to that guy anymore. But kind of good. Let's, let's go back a minute, Reed, because you're originally from Canada, right? Yeah. I mean, I still, my ultra sign up still says New Brunswick because. I'm I'm a very proud Canadian. My first tattoo is a maple leaf. Oh, I can hear it in your voice. I can. It's funny because being from Wisconsin, I feel like Canadians are our dear, dear cousins because we say so many words the same um, in Wisconsin that 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 they say in Canada. I could hear the maple syrup in your voice. Read what brought you to the sport. Kind of what's your journey from whatever you were doing before to finding the world of ultra running. I mean, I think I have a, a pretty like standard story. I got into trail running because of mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't just start there. I, I grew up doing cross country and swimming, and then I fell into the sport of triathlon. Um, my parents have done multiple Ironmans. Like my mom was fourth in the world in her age group back in 2014. So wow. I can, yeah, yeah. So I, I have good genes. Um, 
So my dad and mom uh, just really influenced me and my brother was a swimmer. So I just naturally kind of fell into that. And then I, uh, yeah, I fell in love with the sport of triathlon and and just pushing myself and exploring my limits. Um, That brought me from my small town of 4,000 people in New Brunswick to a city in uh, Ontario, just outside of the Toronto area Mm -hmm. called Hamilton. Yeah. And I started training there and my very first week of university slash moving there to train, I dislocated my shoulder and that was kind of my first real battle with mental health. Um, I just, I wasn't able to train and I got really sick both physically and mentally. And yeah, this went through a, a really, really dark time of my life. Um, crawled my way out of it just with, I, I honestly, I think I just thought, um, like I could kind of talk my way out of it. I, mm-hmm. I think I used medication for like a week. I definitely wasn't seeing a therapist. Um, like I, I really didn't develop any skills. I just went through an injury, got really depressed, got back to racing, thought everything was fine. Um, and then I stopped having fun with triathlon and this would have been in 2017 and it went from like when I, when I finally decided like the sport just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just lost my identity cause I went from training 30 hours a week to not really understanding who I was outside of the sport, right? which yeah. is a really scary thing. I can see how you would identify um, yourself as that. You reach a certain level of success, and here you are growing up in a household where you have very active parents. So many of us, Reed, grew up in a household where exercise is not a priority for mom and dad. You know, that you, you don't see your parents working out. You don't have your mom, the number one triathlete in the world. You don't have those, those, those fitness examples right in front of you but it sounds like reed like pretty much for your entire life you grew up in a very active family and you were encouraged to be active through cross country at school and then swimming and all of that and of course you know you had two ways to go when you when you leave mom and dad's house you could continue on the family legacy or you could rebel you chose to follow in the family legacy and you know, surround yourself with the world of triathlons. I'm sure growing up, having those examples as mom and dad, having your brother be so active, I am sure that you saw success early on in triathlon just because of the resources that you had in your family. Yeah. um, And I think, I think like the other layer to that is, the pressure you feel whether it's self-imposed or not when that's what you're surrounded by right Mm -hmm. like my brother probably could still drop me on the bike in 10 seconds and like i'm a like professional runner like my i should be (laughs) yeah i should like be stronger than my brother who works sometimes 70 hours a week right but he's he's always had that natural ability i mean he he rides a lot. He rode like 10,000 miles last year on his bike. Like he's not a slouch, but right, yeah. it's, 
yeah, it's it, it's um, a pressure that I just I felt from a very young age that actually I'm I'm working pretty hard with the sports psych right now to kind of let go of that because I I feel I still feel it a little bit with just now having a pro contract and the layers that that brings and trying not to make trail running my entire identity even though. I'm not a professional trail runner that uprooted his life in Canada and moved to the U S like it's kind of hard to be like, Oh yeah, I have so much more going on in my life outside of that. Right? <laughs> right, right. Right. Here you go. You go from this, these, these moments of, you know, your whole identity is Reed Burroughs. I'm the triathlete from the family of triathletes. And here you think I'm going to go to college or as you call it in Canada University, and you are going to train, you're going to learn, and then you have a major, major setback, which forced you, Reed, to say to yourself, like, if I'm not Reed the triathlete, who the heck am I? Yeah, and that's a it's a dangerous game because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm trying really hard to to not feel that with with this sport, but like like I said, it's it's kind of my entire life right now. I wouldn't say it's my entire identity, but like yeah, I I lived out of my tent on top of my car for the last 6 weeks before Leadville <laughs> just because of how much I care about this sport and, and doing well in this sport, right? It's yeah, um, it's it's deeply, deeply rooted and important to me. Um, and like that's why I switched coaches this year. That's why I'm in the lab and get blood tested, and I train with like a lactate meter as well, and heart rate, and like all the sensors you could imagine. Because I just I care so deeply about uh, getting the best out of myself. It's not always about the result, but just like getting as good as I possibly can in the sport is just super important to me. Can you order a lactate meter on Amazon? How the heck did you get one of those, Reed? I I actually do think you can get it on Amazon. I mean, (laughs) I ordered it from, I literally think the website is called (laughs) lactate.com. Now, there's a real big chance, Reed, that if you go to lactate.com, it may not be a lactic acid test. It's very dangerous yeah, just throwing so, that website out. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe Google it first. But <laughs> yeah, I, I use something called, I think it's like the Nova Plus like lactate meter. And to, to be honest, I, I used it for six months before I switched coaches. And the numbers made absolutely no sense to me until I got a coach that understands it. So it's, it's, I'm not sure if it's the most practical thing for most people. And like every time you draw blood, it's like $2. So it's, it's not always, yeah, it's not always the most practical thing. But for me, like I've seen some major gains by using it. So I'm going to keep screwing around with it. Reed, it's okay. You just submitted to everybody that you spend $2 each time you run to get numbers you can't understand. I send them to my coach now, though. <laughs> <laughs> he understands them. <laughs> Let's just take it in for a moment. You know, Reed's trying to not fully identify as Reed the Ultra Runner and, and, and not let it fully consume his life. But he does pay someone 
to read results that he pays $2 for after every single run. Reed, it sounds like you're you're all in hook, line, and sinker into this ultra running thing. Oh, I'm all in. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I have like an on and off switch. It's just my personality and we're on the on switch right now. Like I'm intense. It's, I don't want to say it's all I care about, but I'm deeply invested in it. I'm deeply invested in like becoming the best athlete I can be. And, um, yeah, like I've made a lot of sacrifices, right? Like I missed Canadian Thanksgiving. Um, like I was still in the States. I'm probably not going to be able to see my parents or brother at Christmas. Um, it's just like, that's, that's my life right now. And I'm very comfortable with that. I think I'd Mm, live a life with a lot of regret if I was not all in on this goal. You know, from now on, I, I think obviously just this conversation, Reed, everyone knows you're dedicated to the sport. There is no question. No one's leaving this conversation, uh, you know, question whether or not you're dedicated to the sport. My new benchmark is going to be you, though. When people say, like, I'm dedicated to ultra running. I'm going to tell them, do you pay someone to read a test result you paid $2 for? Because if you don't, you're not as committed as Reed Burroughs is. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm using five, six, seven strips of runs. So that's what. Holy. 14, oh my God. <laughs> and then you have like the Red Bull I had before the run. Um, fortunately, Scratch sends me product, but I'm putting like 14 scoops of product into a bottle. Um, I mean, like everyone who says running is cheap is, is full of crap because like, it's a really expensive sport if you're trying to get everything out of yourself and and just like I think training properly and replacing gear when it breaks. Like it's well, it's not a cheap sport. No, it's not. Um, and here's the thing: like your parents can't look at the credit card bill and go, "Reed, we see a lot of charges on here. We're thinking we're going to cut you off from the family card." And you can be like, "Listen, I'm just this is all sports stuff. This is all stuff to be the best that I possibly can in the sport. Just like you taught me when I was a kid." And they can't, then that's, you know, they can't overcome that. And I just want to make sure that they know that the lactate.com charge is, is actually for training. <laughs> I'm, I'm just picturing these wonderful Canadians, the boroughs. They live up there in, in Canada and they're just talking. And like your, your mom just says to your dad, boy, I just don't know. All I see on the credit card is this lactate.com charges. Has he got some sort of fetish? <laughs> I mean, I think we're all a little a little broken. I think that's what makes us so good at this sport. So it's not uh it wouldn't be that weird if we were into other strange things. I think that's just it's just alternators, right? Like we're all very unique people and um yeah, we came from a lot of walks of life life's life yeah lots of life yes um, yes <laughs> so read i do want to talk for a minute before we get into the sport and I, and I do want to talk to you about one of the things that you champion is mental illness and mental mental health care are important to you and i, and I want to talk about those things but i want to go back just a little bit when you enter that and you talk about working with a sports psychologist that's a brand new field i mean that's a thing that's only been around for a couple of years people that are you know 
trained because it's it's hard you go to a regular therapist they don't get it sometimes they don't understand what drives people to do the things that that you do or or or, or that i do or any ultra runner does so just even athletes you get some you hear other people all the time in the nfl you know you got guys that retire five times and go back in I mean, michael jordan in the nba retired and unretired four times because you take that away that's who they are you were read the triathlete and then that was taken from you what work you know like so many of us you didn't have you said you didn't have the tools to process that so who does who has the tools that's not something that we're taught in school or taught in our interactions with other people of how to especially those of us that have that type of personality where we latch onto things and that is what's important to us no one's really taught how to separate ourselves from the things that we love to do and identifying solely with the things that we love to do. But what was the work that you needed to do to find out who Reed was when sports was not available to you to use that as the identifier? So for me, it's uh, it's a lot of reflection. I'm like a very deep thinker. Mm -hmm. I don't spend very much time running with headphones or anything like that um i just really like to be alone in my thoughts um that's how i recharge it was something that i i never really understood until i went through my probably second um stint of depression Mm -hmm. back in 2019 Mm -hmm. 2020 i think um like that was when i i just realized like okay so like journaling and reflecting and um I've been using the Headspace app. I'm now like 165 days in a row of meditating. Yeah. Um, so all of those things where I'm just looking inward and reflecting and just um, trying to trying to figure out what I want out of life and out of this world. Not that we ever find the real answers, but just like really spending a lot of time on that inward self talk and and doing the work to figure out like who we are, mm. what we want out of this world, what I want out of this sport, um, who I want to be in the world, like all of those things. I'm just constantly pondering those questions. And that has allowed me to, to maybe not just be read the runner because I'm like, I'm really into coffee. And one of the reasons I like running so much is I, I just love being in nature. Like I'm, like I already mentioned one tattoo, but the rest of my tattoos are all like super nature related. Um, like lots of trees, I have mountain tattoos. Like just, yeah, I, I feel something in nature that I'm not capable of feeling anywhere else. And I'm probably going to chase that feeling until the day I die, mm. even if it's not necessarily ultra running. Right. Um, lactate.com would like you to make sure that you don't take rest days when they need to file a report with corporate. Like they don't want their earnings <laughs> reports to come out on a Reed Burroughs off day. Exactly. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about yourself that has nothing to do with the outdoors or running? Um, I like how much I care about the people that are in my life. Um, mm-hmm. It's why I keep my circle so small. Um, yeah. I just genuinely, genuinely care about the people that I'm close with. Um, that's, yeah, honestly, like I have a friend that helped pace me at 
Leadville and mm-hmm. I just like he's one of the few people I talked to on the phone at least weekly at one point it was daily um and that's just those relationships are just really important to me and I I really work hard to maintain them because I think I did a really good job of pushing people away when I quit the sport of triathlon so I think I'm proud of that because of how hard I work to keep those relationships going and how much I care about them Mm -hmm. because I know how much I needed them and how much they could have used me um just when we go through hard things right it's good to have people that care about you exactly when you were going through this process of discovery of, of who Reed was minus minus the sports when when Reed could no longer be Reed the triathlete before Reed the ultra runner were you was was that process did you find things like going like oh my god I do love that about I, I I never think about myself that way but I do love that about myself what were those those things that you were like wait a minute besides the the very caring and I think that's a that is that's something that is beautiful people that care and love deeply that is such an incredible uh attribute to have to be able to love deeply lots of people you you have that small circle of friends that are so important to you and you care so much about them that's a great thing but that had to have been fun to just sit back and go like oh oh, wait a minute and then there's this and then there's this that journey of self-discovery was it fun was it daunting tell me more about it so it was really scary i mean like when you're training 30 hours a week some weeks like i still have my training logs um well training peaks like i I think i've thrown out the handwritten stuff yeah i have like training peaks for over a decade now and um and when you like look back at that it's like what what do i like and like one of the things was just like i don't know going to a farmer's market on a saturday or getting coffee um i learned how much i really enjoyed writing and and people have told me that i'm good at it that's how I started sharing about my mental health was just, I was writing really long form posts on Strava of all places <laughs> during the pandemic. And, um, they're just really deep, well thought out moments. Um, I was often in tears on those runs, but just knew I needed to get out the door if I wanted to keep living. And yeah, I, I think, yeah, like writing just became such a, powerful tool for me and it's actually like still something that i use when i'm approaching sponsors like i've written some articles for a few different publications now and um i also just write for myself a lot like i don't journal i don't have a daily practice of journaling anymore but i do write in journal fairly often i write articles every now and then and yeah, it's just something that I, I never knew I liked until I went through this period of who is Reed yeah. outside of the sport of triathlon. Right. You get out of triathlon. Did you leave the sport for, for what reason? Was it just because you didn't want to put your body back at risk? Was it you know, something you just found out you didn't like and it was something you did to please your parents? What was the reason you, you stepped away from triathlon? So I came back from that injury and I was actually, I think I was six in the at nationals um fifth or sixth the year i quit so like i was not i was actually on the uh like the like uh canada normally takes three people to the olympics like 
I was on that trajectory. Um, I don't know if 2020, I guess it was 2021, um, would have been a possibility, but I, I think like that was kind of the path I was trying to be on. And then one day I just stopped having fun. Um, and that's really all it was. It wasn't like an injury. It wasn't a life changing moment. Um, I mean, I was dating someone at the time that kind of showed me that I, I did like brunch and going out to dinner and stuff like that. Yeah. But I didn't like, and, and you just don't have the energy to do that for 11 and a half months of the year when you're racing at the highest level of that sport. It's not one of these sports where you can, well, I mean, like ultra running is the perfect example. I don't think my life is balanced, but I can, I can go out every now and then for dinner or go out for coffee. And I don't feel like I have to nap every single day of my life. Um, so no, it's not balanced, but right. it's more balanced it's than where you were. More balanced than it was, right? Because I can imagine that's not the amount of training you're putting in. You're, you're going to school at that time. You're putting thirty hours of training in. That's not a whole lot of time for a relationship because you know relationships require time. You have to spend time with the person, and they just don't want to ride a bike with you. They don't want to get a tandem bike or go swimming with you or or go running and spend those thirty hours. Um, with you, you really can't be open to someone else if your your time is just taken up by so many things. So I can totally see and and how how big of you to be able to go like this is not fun, and I really love brunch and I can't brunch enough if I'm training all these hours, and to be able to step away. Were you okay? Like how were you at that point? Were you so over it and so out of it and so like i'm done or was it hard for you to say like i'm selling my bike this is not fun anymore it was probably the most difficult decision i've ever made in my entire life um i don't regret it at all Mm -hmm. but it was so tough i i was miserable um i don't know there's no other way to put it and misery eventually led to like the worst period of my life. Like I was extremely depressed. I had no idea who I was. I hated everything. I hated school. I never ended up getting my degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, hated my relationship, hated where that was going, hated my job. Like it was just, and then I just started running on the trails a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. Like this is only an hour of my day. I don't hate, but I don't hate it. Right. And yeah. then eventually that turned into a 12 hour timed event race, which um, went really well. Like yeah. I ended up winning that. And then I went out and did a, my first 100 miler out in Western Canada called Sinister Seven, which actually Merrill now sponsors, which is kind of yeah. a cool full circle moment. Um, and then, yeah, like after that, I just, things started getting better. Um, I knew I wanted to get better. I think that was a, another important thing. And yeah, I just, I started working with a psychologist, not a sports psych at the time and was taking some medication, did a bunch of like super structured, intensive workshop type things to kind of do that self-reflection and, and learn some skills on how to deal with, with life and relationships and people. And then, uh, yeah, ended up getting out of that horrible relationship. Mm-hmm. 
and then got a got a real person job for a bit instead of one that just helped me run yeah and uh hated every moment of it but was making good money and saved up a bunch of money um sold a house and then i quit my job and here i am now basically um like there's a little bit more like that's the cliff notes but i mean honestly like i i'm still i still have some of that money from the house and that's helped me fund this year actually because ultra running is really expensive and yes it is it's more expensive than i budgeted way more expensive than i budgeted <laughs> well, at 18 dollars a run read <laughs> minimum that's just to get test read that's you're making it quite a bit more expensive are you worried though that perhaps like and, and again we can walk through this together that it, it and you and you kind of shared your story in a very rapid fire manner so there may have been spaces in between here that we didn't discuss is there a concern that maybe you replaced ultra running or sorry triathlon with ultra running and that really the root of the problem hasn't been solved or has that been part of the journey i think it's been part of the journey mm-hmm. um like i'm actually quite comfortable with knowing that this might not be a lifelong thing. Um, I think the way I train and how hard I train and how hard I'm pushing my body, like, I don't think the longevity that I have is, is going to have me like doing ultras in my fifties and sixties. Like I, I honestly am quite comfortable with that. And I think with triathlon, it was like, I needed to run. I needed to bike. I needed Mm -hmm. to swim. I didn't feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. um like I can take rest days now and like I I couldn't take rest days for almost a decade um I'm I'm quite comfortable with myself I don't think like I think I was always running away from something I think now it's more running towards something Mm -hmm. um but I do think like we all have our demons and I I definitely running is the most powerful tool in my toolkit whether i want to admit it or not um it can really change my mood if i have a really good run or a really bad run and if i'm having a rough day i can really turn it around with a run and like the journaling and the coffee and like all the other things that i do that i care about or talking to my friends like that'll only do so much for me yeah um like if i'm not out there either exploring nature or exploring the limits of my body I don't feel fulfilled. So uh, I think if I can like understand that that's just who I am. I mean, my mom's 57 and she has to live her life in a similar way to me. Um, like if you look at like, she has Strava, right? Like yeah. both my parents have Strava. And if you look at their training, like they train a lot for people that are in their fifties. And I just think like, I may have to pivot, but, um, I would like sport to be a part of my life for all of my life if I can make that happen. I'm going to tell you right now, a refinancial planner listening is going, that, uh, that $2 a pop, sometimes multiple a run, that's, you're not sustaining that through your 50s, Reed. You're going to have to sell a bunch more houses. You're going to have to become a realtor to keep that habit up. <laughs> uh, I do not have enough money in my bank account to buy a house in Colorado. I can say that much. <laughs> Reed, I, you know, I'm I'm someone that has struggled with with mental health 
my whole life. And it's not, I don't even think I've been, I've probably, the happiest I've been has been the last five years. But for the first 40 years of my life, I was someone who struggled with that. What I was running away from, and I was a person much like you, that was, you know, jumping from one hobby to the next, fully, and it started off with throwing myself into relationships and and fully being identifying as I'm part of this relationship. And then it was hockey, and then it was shooting, and then it was hunting, and then it was um, cooking, and then it was all these other things, and then I, I found running, and then ultra running, and all of that stuff. And I found that I kept throwing myself into these situations because the reality was I was running from the fact that I did not like myself at all. I didn't feel that I was worthy of anyone else's love. And I certainly didn't feel that I was worthy of loving myself. That's what I had spent 40 years running from. And it took me 40 years to figure it out. Once I did, good Lord, the last five years have been so much more enjoyable. Did you discover the thing you were running from, Reed? Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, like, that kind of gives me chills when I hear it because, like, man, self-love is, like, a pretty hard thing. Isn't and, it? Um, it is so yeah, It is been, so hard. And people say that. You see, Reed, you see shit all the time on the internet, and I saw it. You saw videos. You see everything. You got a therapist in front of you. You got you got family members in front of you. Everybody's telling you, you got to love yourself. You got to love yourself. And I'm sorry. You can have every cutesy video in the world. You can have David Goggins screaming at you all day long. That is the heart. The hardest person to love is yourself. Because you, you, <laughs> how do you do that? How do you love yourself? It's the hardest relationship you will ever be in for some people, myself included. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're a bit self-destructive, right? Like mm-hmm. that's like frig. I've been doing endurance sport for my entire life. Like I, I don't think that I have, like, and I'm, I'm extremely. Like, believe it or not, I'm extremely insecure. I don't feel as though I deserve a professional contract still mm-hmm. as much as I try and convince myself. Um, some days are better than others, but like in general, it's like, it's still something that I'm, I'm constantly trying to work on because it's it's hard to just be like, yeah, like I'm, I'm really proud of who I am and yeah. I'm, I appreciate who I am and what I bring to the table and stuff. It's like, I don't know, I have don't have a massive social following and like don't have big results. And like I've read articles that actually state that. And it's like, you don't have to point that out. I know that. And anyone (laughs) with a brain can Google my name and know that. Right. It's, and uh, I actually read an article last week and it, um, I think the cool thing about working with a sports psych, and some of the stuff that I've been doing on the side, like the journaling and like the meditating is mm-hmm. when I read the article, it actually just fired me up instead of like ruining my day. Um, so I think it's always going to be a work in progress. I think the biggest thing for me is like when you're feeling those feelings, um, trying to use them as fuel and not so much using them as 
like a way to make your make yourself feel even worse about yourself oh let me tell you reed i you were talking about reading an article about yourself and i was like my god am i talking because it sure boy if i picked up a canadian accent because everything reed is saying is uh is something that i've 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 had that very same situation and, I, and it's like oh my god it could but you have to make that choice right of do you let it take you into this downward spiral of well you, you know you're they're right they're right or do you use it for fuel? And using it for fuel is probably something you wouldn't have done 10 years ago, um, but it's, it's, it's something not, you realize it's, now. It's not something I would have done six months ago. And I think that's just like a, a, uh, a big like stamp on what what working with a sports psych has done for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I plan on, on continuing the relationship initially. It was something that I kind of thought was going to be like a six month project. And now it's something that I'm like, actually we, uh, we started a year agreement starting on Wednesday, um, just November to November. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a relationship that I, I know that I need to continue to continue to be able to make these decisions and, um, to continue to work on my self esteem and like, understanding my worth and all of those things right and Mm -hmm. we're in like contract negotiation season too and when you're like you read an article like that you're like well what does the brand think of me right or (laughs) a different brand if you're talking to like a secondary sponsor or something it's like if i already think that about myself like what do what do they think no it's so funny you know i had a i had a guest someone had suggested a a guest uh, for me to interview on the podcast. So I reached out to him and the person had a publicist and the publicist is like, Hey, you know, we're, we're interested in, Hey, and I always, I hate working with publicists because that generally means you're going to get the same interview that they've given 7,000 other people. You know, like they have their, yeah. when, when someone has a publicist, they have talking points and they're trying to sell something. So I, I just don't like working with publicists, but I'm like, you know what? This guy has a story that that's probably worth sharing. And so, you know, I'm in the process trying to schedule a date and all of this. And then something happened and I got ghosted. I think they looked where I rank in the grand scheme of things. And they're like, I don't think this podcast is big enough for the message that we're trying to share. And then they were gone. Like they were like they were thinking, oh, this guy's this guy's on the level of Joe Rogan. No, I am not. Uh, I'm not at the level of, of Joe Rogan. Uh, we both are. We both are on Spotify, but that's about the only similarities that I have with Joe Rogan. And then they just totally ghosted me on it. And I'm like, oh, what? Is, what was it? Do, do I need to pump up my listeners to get big guests? Do I need to pump up my social media numbers? Like, like what is it? <laughs> like, 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 how many other guests are going to look at the same numbers that that guy's publicist look at and go, yeah, we were interested, but we're really not. So you're not alone on that, Reed. Yeah, and I think like that's that's a scary thing, right? Is like being <laughs> yeah. like you have to be your own biggest advocate, right? But at the same time, like you see what everyone else sees, and it's like, yeah, it's a bit of a like you get that like push and pull feeling constantly <laughs> because you're like, I need to stand up for what I'm worth, and then you're like, 
you kind of like shrink down and go, well, what am I actually worth? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> That's so true. You have those situations where you're like, what am I worth? And you're like, hmm, what is the average? And you'll Google what is the average fill in the blank, right? And then yeah. you have, have these conversations with yourself. You're like, I don't want to appear too cocky and ask right at or slightly above the average but how below the average do I ask before I start looking desperate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think, uh, I, honestly, I think um, just like speaking about our sport generally, not just your podcast situation or me feeling right. a little insecure and a bit of an imposter syndrome, like I don't think anyone really understands their worth. No one does. And I Very think that's people, a scary yeah. place to be. Um, like not a lot of people in our sport use agents and stuff like right, that. Right? right. It's right. It's a very like, you got to self advocate, but you don't really know what you're worth or what you're advocating for. And yeah, it's a, it's a scary place to be. It's hard to toot your own horn for some, like for people like you and I, we're not even taking lessons on tooting our own horn. Like, like that instrument is sitting in the case over, <laughs> over across the room. The case is collecting dust. We've not been on that play on that instrument. And we tell our, we tell our, our music instructor, of course I'm practicing tooting my own horn, which would be the therapist in your case, but we're lying. We know that it's been sitting there collecting dust all the way along. Um, Reed, I do want to get to coffee cause I'm, I'm a big coffee snob too. And I'd love to, before we wrap things up, I do want to talk, coffee with you um what is some advice that you would give as someone who has dealt with this situation and is learning to set these boundaries with themselves of i need to be read the well-rounded person not just read insert sport i see it happen with so many people read in this sport where they hop in and their whole identity is based around their last race their ultra sign-up score, they are fill-in-the-blank ultra runner. And that's great for a while. But let me tell you, when it comes crashing down, it ain't fun. What advice, Reed, would you give to people to be able to enjoy the sport but not identify themselves wholly as that sport? I, th I think it's really important to care about things outside of running um, because like even if it's hiking, that's still something that's slightly different and it's complementary to the sport. For me, like I said, it, it's coffee, but I actually tie coffee into a lot of my my stuff, right? Like I, yeah. I've done events where I've done coffee. I actually like recently for the um like to sign the new athletes at this the Merrill event that was in steamboat i brought my espresso machine and made coffee for everyone and yeah like that's it's it allows me to be something more than just an athlete mm -hmm. but at the same time like i'm a runner right but i'm a runner who likes coffee and i, I think like that's a really cool way to to do it is like just make it a complimentary thing. I hate hiking. So that's not a good example for me. I'm working on it, but like if that's something you really enjoy or riding your bike or writing or reading, like you can write about running, you can read about running and that still makes you a reader or a writer. It's even though it's a 
something that's directly related to running it's still different and i think when you have those interests and hobbies that aren't solely um focused on that last ultra sign up result or or your next race like if you have these other interests it's much easier to fall back on them if you're injured or if you need to take a few weeks off after a hundred mile or something like that. Um, like it's, it's important to know that there are other things outside of running Mm -hmm. and like I do this full time and I still think like there's a lot of really cool things that I get to do with my life outside of running. Right. Like I've climbed 13, 14 ers this year and I think I only ran one of them. Yeah. Do you make it purposeful when you set out your week? Do you, you know, look at your training log like, okay, I got to run Monday, run Wednesday, run Thursday, Friday, Saturday, working these sort of things. And do you also kind of mentally put other things in there for the sake of balance, like not just plan out your week for running, but also plan out like, oh, I want to try this new coffee shop or I'm going to go hike here or ride a bike or read this book or write in my journal do you kind of purposefully plan out your week to include lots of different things than just running so i my last job was actually in logistics so my entire life was planning like that's what i was getting paid to do yeah so i actually prefer to not really have a plan um one of the things that i do like doing those i I hang out at the running store in salida it's called 7,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a bunch of cool guys that, uh, yeah, it's just, it's fun to hang out there. So I think that's kind of what I do when I know I need to just like get out of the house and get out of my head. Um, but then there's other weeks where I'm just training so hard that, yeah, it's just, I'm not doing a lot outside of running and I think that's okay. Um, ebbs and flows some some weeks you have yeah. more some weeks you have more time in the coffee shop than you do on the trails and other times it's it's vice versa um one of the things reed that i i don't think is championed enough and and i think you're someone who mentioned it briefly earlier is there's nothing drives me like well, a lot of things drive me crazy i try to limit that list that list has gotten a lot shorter uh, read as i get older the list of things that drive me crazy gets really uh, quite a bit shorter but one of the things that i really hate seeing and i see it a lot in the ultra space is this meme or this idea that hey you're depressed put on a pair of running shoes and run outside um, and, I, and I think that does a disservice to the realities of, of mental health care. Um, you are someone who would advocate exercise for those battling depression, but it also seems like you advocate a very well-rounded approach of, you know, seeking professional help. If that includes therapy or medication, whatever that professional health help looks like to go in tangent with going outside a hundred percent um and here I'll, I'll share something that not very many people know like i had suicidal ideation creep back up during my leadville build mm-hmm. so i'd like to let people know that when you are outside a lot when you are living your dream when you're in these beautiful mountain towns and spending so much time out in nature like you 
that you feel so fulfilled and recharged. Like I, I had all those feelings and I still had those like dark thoughts and like had tears in my eyes. It, it was only for, I want to say like 24 or 48 hours. It wasn't a mm-hmm. super long period of time, but like I'm living my dream and that still happened. And like, I think, I think it's just important to realize like, okay, running helps a lot, but it's not the only thing that you can do and should do. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just, I was feeling really lonely. Like I was, I uprooted my entire life to be here and it just like, it just hit me really hard one day. Right. Like I just, I felt like I had no one, no one I could talk to, no one I could lean on as yeah. the mental health advocate. It felt like I couldn't share that. Um, right. So, yeah, I think it's just really important to realize, like, even when you think you've done the work and you have done a lot of the work, like, it can still creep back up on you. Um, so, yeah, I'm not done with dealing with depression just because I'm the mental health guy and I've done a lot of the work. Um, and I think that's important to realize, like, there there are periods of my life where maybe I do have to go back on medication, like, after I'm done doing this professionally like maybe that's a really hard transition in my life and i need to be seeing a therapist multiple times a week and and really like talking through some of this stuff yeah um and i just understand that now so i think it's scary when i have those thoughts but i no longer fear that i would ever actually take my own life right um like that's no longer a fear that i have I, i don't think that i ever would right and it's just knowing like, okay, if that becomes no longer 48 hours, but it's a week long feeling or a month long feeling or six months or a year, like I need to really do the work and get back there. Um, another thing I've found for me, like really limiting like alcohol or anything else that'll really alter my subs or alter my, uh, my mood outside of coffee. Yeah. Um, like, I don't use cannabis, but like cannabis or... You're the only um, one. There's one person in Colorado not smoking weed, and it's the Canadian yeah. living in the van on top of his truck. No, I mean, I have a place now. I have a, <laughs> I have a tent on top of my car that I, I use occasionally, but I, I actually have have like plumbing and in a bed you see that that, guy over there living in a van there's a guy living on a living on a tent in his van and no he doesn't smoke weed that'd be the craziest colorado you'd be the strangest man in colorado they would be like i can't believe this guy yeah i mean you're not wrong (laughs) no but i think it's you bring up a really good point that it is a journey, right? When when you have issues of mental health, it's it's like you want this fix all, right? Like you want the meme on social media that says, Oh, you're depressed, put on a pair of shoes and go run in the woods. You want that yeah. to be the cure-all, and you realize that it's it's a struggle. And it's I don't think it's I I think there's probably some people that are able to step away from it or work past it and they don't have those those step backs those days where you're like man i thought i was really far in my journey towards mental health and then you you take nine steps backwards but i think most people to realize that it is a constant struggle not a struggle but it's 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 something you have to be prepared for every day like you have to keep your guard up every day and know that it's a process 
and it is not a thing you do to completely change your life. I think it's things you do to arm yourself to be able to handle those instances and those situations better. Yeah, and I think it's really easy to slip, right? Right, Like when things are going well, it's really easy to stop journaling and to stop really taking care of yourself mm-hmm. and stop. I, I think a lot of people um, don't spend enough time alone. Yes. And I think like that's when the scary stuff comes back mm-hmm. is when they're like alone again because they're no longer numbing the pain or trying to distract from the pain. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I think like we all like even even the people like me that have just spent so much time like advocating about it i think sometimes we can all slip and and get back to a, a dangerous spot if we're not careful and yeah it's i think for me personally i don't know your story or anyone else that's listening yeah. but like for me personally like this is something i'm probably gonna have to deal with for my entire life and like i think that's what actually got me out of the hole um this summer during my Leadville build was when I finally realized like, wow, like this sucks, but like, I'm probably gonna have to deal with this for the rest of my life. And that's really as scary as it is. It's really comforting to know that. Yeah. It's, it's knowing that, that, that yes, that that's going to be with you your entire journey, but it also creates this sense of strength and accomplishment, right? Like, listen, I've been able to deal with these things and I deal with these things on a regular basis. I'm a person that has a great internal strength. Like that's like, that's something you can, a positive you can take from those battles, right? Like, okay, I'm a, I'm a tough person. I, I can handle this. Yeah, I mean, um a hundred miles is really hard and it hurts really bad but you know it hurts more than that like not wanting to live exactly like, put it frankly right like it, mm-hmm. I, I i tap into that a lot when i'm racing yeah like when i race leadville this summer when i um like I, at any moment when i'm like going through that like battle in a race it's like well I've been in way worse spots than this. Yes. Like, right? like yes. you're going up hope pass the second time and you're like, this is nothing. Every day I got to fight something like this. This is, I can do this in my sleep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not, not quite with hope pass as a bad analogy. Cause man, that backside hurt me. But, <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> generally speaking, <laughs> it ain't easy for anybody. Reed. It ain't. <laughs> Maybe Anton Kapritschka. I think it's easy for him. I think he's like, what's the big deal? I, I run this all the time. Yeah. I don't see why anyone anyone's hurting on this. For you know, you mentioned the using the 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 mindful. Which app do you use? The Headspace app, right? Headspace, yeah. Yes. Um, one of those. There's so many great apps out there. Headspace is one of them. Mindfulness meditation for me was a game changer. And I don't mean chanting and all of that stuff, but the mindfulness meditation. I use 10% Happier, which was really, really great for me. It really worked well. But the one gift that mindfulness meditation gave me, and there there was a time when I was really into it. You could find me sitting quiet all the time with my legs crossed listening to some app, you know? The thing that it really, the gift that it gave me is separation from my thoughts and acting on my thoughts. So 
now when I have those those thoughts of of wanting to end it all or uh, self-doubt or self like destructive self thoughts mindfulness meditation has taught me to okay stop that's not real that's chatter from your mind where is this chatter coming from what is the real root cause of this chatter and so it's been it's been liberating to be able to go like into and, and to approach it almost like you it's almost like you 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 take a step above your thoughts and you're no longer allowing them to influence you you're just kind of looking at them from 10 feet above going okay where are these things actually coming from oh that's the reason why i'm thinking this way i haven't exercised in a while or i've been eating like crap or i'm dehydrated or i've had a bad day at work or whatever that has been the biggest gift that mindfulness meditation has given me which in turn has send me down a journey of of much greater happiness yeah it's it's pretty powerful right like i for me personally it's it's um the intrusive thoughts just aren't quite as powerful as they used to be i think that's the most powerful thing for me and yeah. i'm not as reactive as i used to be right um creating can, separation think a bit clear mm-hmm so seriously, if you're someone that's listening to what Reed and I are talking about and saying like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, that's me. Um, headspace is great. Calm is great. 10% happier is great. There's a whole lot of really, and there's and, and honestly, there's great YouTube videos as well. If you don't want to spend the money on the app, uh, you just go on YouTube and search mindfulness meditation and you can get five minute ones and I, I suggest starting at five because it's hard you want to say like we're ultra runners so we're ultra runners like oh man look here's the 30 minute one i'm gonna go with the 30 minute one you ain't gonna last 30 minutes the first time just just, just like this just like prom night you ain't gonna last as long as you thought so you want to tile it back and just do you want to start with the five and, and, and then move on from there yes i compared mindfulness meditation to prom night but you know and, and take take with it uh what you will okay read so all of that we're both we're both encouraging folks to to take care of their mental health um talk to somebody don't just use running you know make it a full well-rounded approach seek professional help if you have to we all agree on that read um but now i want to give you a moment you're a coffee guy i've talked before about uh my my love of coffee um with other guests that's something that i've just recently kind of discovered one of my one of my new things that i've jumped into uh full force is is the is the coffee i want to thank mandy savin for sending me coffee from her hometown that's got it in the mail today i'm so excited to try it um but for you how do let's go start from the beans what type beans they are to how do you make them how does reed burrows make his perfect cup of coffee so we'll start with i'm obsessed with coffee too i have a portafilter tattoo which is the <laughs> handle on the espresso machine so it's it's super important to me um wow. so i learned how to roast through uh, a friend who's from colombia who owns a few shops in canada mm-hmm. um so that's like actually when my buddy came down from leadville he brought me some bags of coffee from from the shop so i still really like that 
Um, so you so roast your own, you roast your own beans. I learned how to roast my own beans. I don't have a roaster though, and gotcha. I don't think like the little ones really do roasting justice. So I definitely um, just buy relatively fresh beans. So gotcha. That's how I start. So let me I tell you something. A real quick, read. Um, yeah. I wanted to to roast my own beans. And I, I was Googling recipes on how to, how to roast beans in an air fryer because we have an air fryer and you can roast coffee yeah. beans in an air fryer. And I don't know if, if, if uh, my wife was, over, was looking over my shoulder or whatever, but she walked by and she goes, you are not roasting coffee beans in my air fryer. And so it was that moment where I'm like, yeah, I'll stick to buying beans. <laughs> I'll let someone else do the roasting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that you can... <laughs> roast beans properly in an air fryer i think you're you're kind of like not screwed but you know I, I don't think it's the best method my wife is very um, happy i didn't discover that myself but yeah so i'm i'm like uh i really like an oat milk latte to start the day okay so i have a pretty nice espresso machine that has traveled with me from canada um, it weighs like 50 pounds. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's how I start my day. And then often if I'm doing like a second run, I'll do just straight espresso. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, I really like any type of coffee as long as it's high quality. And yeah. for me, the fruitier, the better. So I'm more like white roasts, okay, so dark roasts. Okay. Um, I, I I agree with you on that. I, I love, there's so much flavor in there. I don't go the espresso route. For me, I, I've got, <laughs> I have seven ways of making coffee in the house, Reed. That's no joke. Um, we have a Nespresso. That's about as close as I get to espresso, which I'm sure as an espresso fan, you hear the word Nespresso and you're like, that's not even the same thing. <laughs> don't come out with your Nespresso, buddy. Um, but for me, I love the the light roasts in a pour over. Like using yeah. that, yeah. So you get that, you get that gooseneck kettle. You get that water just perfect, and you got to use filtered water. You can't use that tap stuff. And then yeah. I, I bought, I bought a hand grinder. So I have a hand burr grinder that I use to grind all of my beans. My, I didn't know. I, I, I thought it was. I didn't know it was as loud as it was. I remember <laughs> after I'd got it. My my seventeen year old daughter, whose whose bedroom is on the first floor of the house, opened up. And she's like, "Dad, it is five o'clock in the morning. What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm just grinding coffee." And so now, now I grind my coffee outside. So I wake up in the morning, fill up my grinder, and then I step out onto the deck and I'm grinding coffee outside to 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 get it right but yes there is nothing better that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be really cold in, in wisconsin <laughs> in, in the winter um but i'm also like i'm pro hand grinder like i won't go anywhere without my arrow press and my hand grinder yeah oh yeah um, like there's always room for it it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how light i'm packing um but yeah it's like that's actually my favorite travel method just because it's the aeropress is also plastic so mm-hmm. yeah you don't you're not going to get it wrecked in your suitcase or throwing it in like the overhead band carry on or whatever yes you get a good color you get a good costa rican or uh or, or costa rican light just a, a light roast 
that has that full-bodied flavor to it like like you know something that's yeah yeah it's so so good oh i could talk about coffee more than i could talk about running that's um, for sure. are you a french <laughs> you a french press ever reed are you a french presser no so i do aeropress mm-hmm. i'll do a chemex which is a, like a pour over method yeah um yeah. and then and then espresso okay those and are- then like i'll drink whatever people will make but generally speaking like depending on the coffee or if i'm traveling or not those are my three three methods i've i've explored like expensive bags of beans and i've tried to i've, mm-hmm. I've, I've like I've, I've i've traveled down this world of trying to and i even have a coffee journal which makes me feel like a big dork <laughs> i like try i'll try different types of coffee and then i'll like leave notes on what i liked about it what i didn't like about it i'll rank it on a one to ten scale and in that sort of thing the flavors that i got the tasting notes and 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 that sort of thing so i i I do love it to that point um my ways are i i will pour over i will french press i'll make a drip if there's a hundred people over i'm i'm just just gonna grind a good a good thing put it in there um but I've, i've tried to find the best cheap coffee that i can find and the best cheap coffee that i have found so far is at sam's club it's 11 dollars for two pounds it's called pablo's pride it's guatemalan it's fantastic it's a dark roast so it's hard to mess up a dark roast it's good it's good in a french press but I've been on this quest to find the best cheap beans and all the different roasts. I'm still working on good cheap beans and a light roast or a medium roast. The problem is though, yeah. Reed, most cheap coffee is dark roast because dark roast does not require you to actually do anything uh, to protect the flavor. You just have to not to totally kill the bean. Yeah, it's a, it actually pops like popcorn when you're roasting it. Um, and a dark roast will go to what's called the second crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um yeah so most of the stuff that i like is like just around first crack and then you like let it out of the hopper and let it cool down um so yeah i i've let me know if you ever find a cheap light roast that tastes good because i'm I working on it have- amazon <laughs> amazon has a pretty good but the thing is amazon basics has a decent light roast but they're always sold out of it i think the word got out they're like oh man amazon's light roast isn't garbage let's go ahead and buy that and every time you try to buy a bag it's like we're sorry we're all out um there was i i don't have you had one of the best cups of coffee i had there's a a small roaster up in door county wisconsin where my where my family is from I live in Tennessee now, but my mom grew up in Door County, and there's this Door County Coffee Company. Now, Door County Coffee is generally known for flavored coffees. I don't go down the flavored coffee route, so they have like, oh, it's cinnamon hazelnut and all that stuff. They had a Sumatra that was dynamite that they actually, and Sumatra is a wet hulled bean, so they, they process it differently, but I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculously good. You need to try a geisha. It's like a certain strain. Yeah. Oh my, it's stupid expensive, but uh, <laughs> like it's probably like $50 for a pound Ooh. most of the time if it's like actual geisha. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it'll blow your mind. 
Oh, really? Um, when I was still working in the coffee industry, I got to try that a few times and it was like, wow, this nothing really can compares. What is it? What is the, uh, what, like, how would you describe the, the geisha coffee? It's just like so fruity. It's indescribable. Like it's really? like melony and like just so light, but like not as, there's like no acidity to it whatsoever. Really? And like the crema I got when I was like extracting it, it was just, I'd never seen anything come out of my espresso machine. It just looks so good. Like it looked good. It smelled good. You could smell the melon like as you're grinding it. And then when it, like the, that first like set it's it wasn't like an aftertaste like a lot of coffee nuts are it was yeah. like the first set you're like wow this is so fruity wow so geisha okay yeah. give me one more yeah. I got, give me two more you got to give me three you gotta give me three that i have to try see that's a strain so okay it's geisha. Like a different thing and then okay. like any i don't know i think like anything um like ethiopian or colombian that's just got like that like blueberry chocolatey sort of thing yeah yeah and then the last thing I would say is, uh, yeah, just like seek, like get as fruity as you can get. Like when you're looking at the notes, like if you're on, like if you're looking at a roaster that you like, mm. um, just go as fruity as it can get. And yeah. you'll just, especially if you're going to do a pour over, or, yeah. um, like it'll just blow your mind. Like it's especially if you have the uh, the palate for it, which it sounds like you do. Like I think anything, like just something that's scary fruity. You're like, there's no way that's coffee, um, right? It's like good. a strawberry or a you know, like a melon. Um, like citrus is easy, right? Like citrus and chocolate. That's right. pretty common. But yeah. like if you can get something like as fruit forward as you can see, like very specific, like strawberry, raspberry, melon. Um, those are always so good and so interesting. It's really cool. My wife got me a, for Father's Day, my wife and my oldest daughter got me a Coffee of the Month Club. It's it's like world it's world coffee where you get a bag, a, a one-pound bag each month from a small roaster from all over the world. And so, you know, oh, I've cool. had Guatemala and Ethiopia and um, it, it, Papua New Guinea. It's, it's, it's all different ones. And so that's been kind of fun to, to really go for. But I'm, yeah, I'm definitely looking for, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you up on that. I'm going to try and find that geisha strain and see if I can find anything decent or at least try and find the fruitiest thing I can possibly find as far as tasting notes are concerned. And then I'll, as I'm sipping that on my back deck read, I'm going to go, ooh, that Reed Burroughs knew exactly where to send me on this coffee journey, sir. I love it. I'll message you if I find something that good. Um, I honestly, I, outside of that uh, roaster that I, I used to work for, I've had trouble finding something quite that pretty. Okay, well, let me let me know. And if you're ever in Tennessee, you come over for a pour over, okay? Okay. Definitely. I will definitely take you up on that offer. I know I drove through Tennessee at some point this year. So, Well, next time you're going through, you stop by. We're going to have some coffee. That sounds great. Wow, wow, wow.